0: God never sneaks up on a person and judges them by surprise. He always warns them. And warnings are harbingers.
1: We're so glad you could join us. Welcome to Living in the Light. You're listening to Bible teacher Ann Graham Lotz. And in today's program, as you listen, Ann cautions us from God's Word in Joel chapter 1 to heed the harbingers he is revealing to us. Here's Ann with today's message.
0: On April the 10th, 1912, the Titanic took off from Southampton, England, and it was on its maiden voyage to New York City. And you know the story. It was publicized to be the biggest, best, strongest, most luxurious ocean liner to ever be built. They said it was unsinkable. In fact, the comment was made when she took off from Southampton that even God couldn't sink this ship. So she only had 20 lifeboats on board, which wasn't even close enough to the number needed for all the passengers if there was an emergency. She carried the lifeboats, not for her own passengers, but in case she came across a ship that was in trouble and she could help them. So she took off April 10th. On April the 11th, she received six warnings from ships that were going in that area saying that there was a very dangerous ice field that was right in her path. On April 12th, the second day she was out, she received five warnings. On April 13th, she received three warnings. On April 14th, the day that she hit the iceberg, she received seven different warnings. There is an ice flow in front of you. Watch out, turn around, slow down, go a different path. And she didn't heed any of those warnings. At 10.15 on the night of April 14th, she hit the iceberg and in two hours and 45 minutes, she was down. 705 people survived out of the 2,200 passengers on board. And I share that with you, even though I know you're familiar with that, because that's the image that has come to my mind as I have prayed for the United States of America. We are the best. We are the greatest. We are the strongest. Who can defeat us? We've won two world wars. Our military might, our technology, our prosperity. We're the best. And we're watching... Our ship of state implodes at warp speeds, and I believe with all my heart that we are facing the judgment of God. Now, whether or not we're facing the end, you know that's a that's a question I've asked the Lord. Is judgment that America comes in? I'm talking about severe judgment, like a nuclear strike or ISIS popping up everywhere, or something, uh, earthquake that splits us into you know, a severe judgment, is that going to be simultaneous with judgment over the rest of the world? Is that going to be, it's like something that would accompany the rapture of the church. Are we looking at the end? And my personal opinion is that I don't know if it's going to be simultaneous or not, but I believe that we are looking at the end. I believe worldwide judgment, the great and terrible day of the Lord is staring us in the face. But whether or not that's true, we do know there is coming an end. The disciples of Jesus asked Jesus on the Mount of Olives, how will we know the end? If there is a last generation, how will they know that they're the last generation? And I don't want to go into the signs that he gave, and he gave signs in Matthew 24, but what I want to underscore is the fact that he didn't dispute there would come an end to human history as we know it. And the evolutionists would tell you that, you know, human history... um, just began I guess as an amoeba in some prehistoric pool and we came from nowhere and we're going nowhere and we're nothing and we're cosmic accidents and your life has no real purpose or meaning and when you die you just snuff out you know. but that's in direct contradiction to what the Bible says the Bible says that human history as we know it had a beginning and it was when God created the heavens and the earth and he formed man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed his own life into man and man became a living being That was the very beginning of human history as we know it. And then human history has a midpoint, and it doesn't mean it divides history equally into two equal parts. It just means there's a point on which all of history turns, a fulcrum, a pivot, and that's the first coming of Jesus. And we know the first coming of Jesus was from his birth, his life, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, about 33 years. That's the midpoint of human history. But human history will also have an end. The Bible is very clear about that. And it will end in what is described as the great and terrible day of the Lord, or on the flip side of that for you and me, it's the return of Jesus Christ visibly, literally, physically to planet earth. And that will be the end of human history as we know it. Now, human history will go on after that. There will be human life, of course, after Jesus comes back. But the history that we have known on this planet in the way that we have known it for all these thousands of years will end at that point. And I believe we're looking increasingly like we're getting very close to that particular point. That we're approaching the end of human history as we know it. Whether that's true or not, I can't be certain what I am certain of is that the United States of America is coming under God's judgment. And God never sneaks up on a person and judges them by surprise. He always warns them. And warnings are harbingers. Now that word wasn't in my vocabulary until several years ago. Somebody gave me Jonathan Kahn's novel. I don't know how many of you read The Harbinger? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? In fact, it's really incredible, very intriguing. And that put harbinger in my vocabulary. It means an omen, a warning, a forerunner, a sign. So if you look out at the mountains, you know, they are green and leafy and the weather is 82 degrees and there's a balmy breeze and it feels just like summer until I walked out of my cabin and I bumped into a dogwood tree that has red berries and the leaves are turning color. And so the the red berries and the colored leaves are harbingers of fall. I know that fall is just around the corner because the leaves are telling me that, you see. So God sends us harbingers... Warn us that we're approaching the day of the Lord. We're approaching judgment. And the day of the Lord is a day when God's patience runs out. It's a day when he holds us accountable. It's a day when he says, I've had enough. And he draws the line and then allows his judgment to fall. So keep watching the harbingers. And I'm hoping that if you haven't been watching after this message, you will start watching the harbingers. And the harbingers are credible. In verse 1, it says the word of the Lord. And therefore, we know they're credible because this is God's word. This is what God says. And God is a gentleman. You can take him at his word. Nouns are nouns. Verbs are verbs. You know, and I know in prophecy, there can be symbolism. And in the Psalms and poetry, there can be symbolism. But history is history. And God's word is God's word. And he means what he says. And he says what he means. So this is the word of the Lord. So this is undisputable. And the word of the Lord that came to Joel, son of Pethuel. And it's interesting that we don't know anything about Joel. And all we know is that his father's name was Pethuel. We don't know if Joel prophesied or preached in the southern kingdom of Judah, warning of the Babylonian advance, or if he preached in the northern kingdom of Israel, warning of the Assyrian invasion, probably one of the two. So we don't know exactly where he preached, who his target audience was. And I think one reason for that is because the message that Joel gives is timeless. It transcends a particular point in time and a particular audience that he was speaking to. I believe, you know, I'm sure he gave it verbally, but then he wrote it down. Why would he write it down when he's going around preaching to his generation and he wrote it down because they couldn't have copies, they didn't have printing press and all that. He wrote it down for you and me. So living in 2016 we would be aware that before the day of the Lord, God sends harbingers to wake us up, harbingers to get our attention, to warn us that judgment is coming. And one encouraging thing about Joel that I personally find a blessing is when you think about it, Joel, who, um, you know, nobody knows where he came from, who he was, where he actually prophesied. We just know his father's name. He was a nobody. He was a nobody who became a somebody because he heard the word of the Lord and he received the word of the Lord and he applied it to his situation. He overlaid his world situation with it and he knew what God was saying and then he gave out God's word to other people. Is there somebody here who feels like a nobody. You're not an elder, you're not a deacon, you're not a Bible teacher, you're not a Sunday school teacher, you know, you just, I don't know. You feel like a nobody? You can become a somebody. When you hear God's word and you receive God's word and you internalize God's word and you live it out and then you share it with somebody and you will become a somebody in heaven's eyes. And who cares about the rest, you know? If you're a somebody in heaven's eyes, Joel, this nobody, the son of Pethuel, became somebody to the point that his message is recorded in the Bible for all eternity. And on Pentecost, Peter preached from it. So Joel was a nobody who became a somebody because he received the word and he lived it out and he shared it with his generation. Would you do the same? So the harbingers are credible, undisputable because they're God's word. And in verse two, he says, hear this. He was calling attention to the word of God. What are you doing to call people's attention to the word of God? There's nothing you can do that's more important than giving out God's word in a way that people can understand, especially if we're living at the end, especially if we're facing the judgment of God. Do you remember Noah lived in, in Genesis chapter six in a wicked world? The whole world was wicked. Every person had evil thoughts all the time, everybody. And Noah was the only one in his generation who was righteous and blameless and he walked with God. And he heard God's word as he walked with God. And he heard God saying that judgment was on his mind because of the wickedness of the world. He was going to destroy the whole world with the flood. And then he kept listening to God and he found out that salvation from judgment was on God's mind also. Build yourself an ark. And Noah, can you imagine, as he was facing the day of the Lord, he was facing judgment on his generation. And because he... Heard God's word. He received it. He lived it out and obeyed it. You and I are here. You know, he saved the human race from extinction. Who would be saved from judgment that's coming? And you know, I believe judgment's coming on the United States, but judgment also comes when you step into eternity. If you haven't come to the cross and put your faith in Jesus, you'll be held accountable for your sin. There'll be no hiding place in eternity. So... You have friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors who, if they stepped into eternity, they would come under God's judgment. Would they be saved if you would come to the cove, you receive God's word, you take it to heart, you live it out. They begin to see what's the difference in your life and you have opportunity to share the gospel with them. And maybe you won't be the one that prays with them as they pray to receive Christ. Maybe it'll be somebody else, but you plant seeds or maybe it will be you. Nothing more thrilling than sharing the gospel and have the person respond so that you pray with them and they receive Christ by faith and they escape the judgment that's coming because Jesus took our judgment for us, didn't they, on the cross? So we won't come under God's judgment for the guilt of our sin ever because it's covered by the blood of Jesus. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. So because Noah received the word and he acted on it, he saved the whole human race. And maybe there would be somebody who would be saved if you would hear the word of God, receive it, act on it, share it with somebody else. Maybe somebody else's salvation depends on that. So hear the word of the Lord. Get people's attention. Get them into Bible studies. Invite them to church. You be in the word. If we're facing judgment, and I believe we are, if we're facing the end of the end, and I believe there's a good case that we could be, then hearing what God has to say would be the most important thing we could do. Vitally necessary. Everything else can go by the wayside, including eating and sleeping and whatever else you think is a necessity. Hearing what God has to say. And sometimes it's not just conviction, he wants to comfort you and then he'll give you promises to cling to and encouragement to just make it through the next day. But he also will tell you what's happening and impress on your heart that we are living in very serious times so the harbingers are undisputable they're god's word and they're universal they're for everybody and if you go down in verse two it says they're for the elders that's people who have gray hair like me verse three for children and grandchildren the young people millennials Generation Y, Generation X, I don't even know the names of the generations now, but they have pierced noses and tongues and they're all tatted up and purple hair and they have iPads and iPods and hoodies and, you know, it's for them. Verse 5, for the drunkards, and I think of drunkards as just staggering down the street. They don't care who sees them and who knows it and just sinners who people who sin openly and they don't care anymore who sees it and they march for their right to sin even more. Verse 9 and 13, that's the opposite of the drunkards. These are the priests. The religious people are all buttoned up. And, you know, they cross all their T's and dot all their I's. They're in church every time the door opens. And they keep the rituals and the traditions. And they think they're safe because they do all the stuff. It's for them. Verse 11, for farmers. Those are the working people. Verse 14, it's for all who live in the land. This is for everybody. This message that Joel is giving out is for you and for me living thousands of years after Joel. Harbingers are universal. They apply to everybody, not just the church, not just to God's people. God sends harbingers to everybody. And as I go through them in a few moments, you'll see what I mean. They're for the entire nation. It's just, I'm not sure the entire nation has the eyes to see, the ears to hear. God's people certainly should. So... The harbingers are undisputable, universal, they're unique. In verse two, it says, has anything like this ever happened before? In other words, nothing like this has ever happened before. <laughs> so when you think of our generation, or I think of my generation, what's happened in my generation that's never happened before in another generation? And you know, I can think in my generation, we've walked on the moon, and we've started the World Wide Web, and the computer, I remember the first computer I ever saw was in my father's office up in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And it was, the computer filled an entire room. And I remember the guy that showed it to me was so excited. Now you can wear one on your wrist. You know, it's, that's phenomenal. The changes in our technology and travel and... But Joel wasn't referring to just things like that, although those are amazing. And some of them do fulfill prophecy in the very end of the end. But he was speaking of disasters that have been unknown before. He was—he was actually referring to a locust plague, and a locust plague came into his area, and destroyed everything. The adult locust, every stage of the locust, just destroyed everything until there was no vegetation, no leaves, no grass, nothing. It was like a moonscape when the locusts left. And he said nothing like this has ever happened before. So I think of the disasters today that are just record-breaking, and starting with 9/11. And nothing like that's ever happened. I know we had Pearl Harbor, but somehow Hawaii just seems a little bit more removed than the mainland. And to have that right in the middle of New York City on that beautiful Tuesday afternoon, everyone can remember where we were when that happened, when we found out. And fresh on our minds, Hurricane Katrina, an American city, just wiped off the map in front of our eyes. Medieval terrorism of ISIS, and you say, well, there's always been terrorism, yeah, but not with weapons of mass destruction and possible access to nuclear weapons. Record-breaking droughts, floods, fires, snowstorms, heat. You know, when, when those disciples asked Jesus, how will we know the end? And he gave them signs. He said in verse 8 of Matthew 24 that they would be like birth pains. And when I gave birth to my children, I remember my first child, and uh, I went into labor, and it started as a low back pain, and I thought, you know, this isn't so bad, and I don't know what the big deal is about, and... Then it went from a low back pain and it started to wrap around and it increased in frequency. It was every five minutes, then four minutes, then three minutes, and two minutes. And when it increased in frequency, it increased in intensity. Until the end, I thought, I can't take this one more minute. And then the baby came. So Jesus said the signs that he gave the harbingers are like birth pains. When you see them increasing in frequency and intensity, then you know the end is near. So as we go through these harbingers, just keep in mind they're record-breaking. Put it in your mind every time you get your news, when you get your newspaper or get online or however else you get your news, just be alert to the record-breaking, never before been like this. Sometimes they say biblical proportions. And and what they're describing are birth pains. It's increasing in frequency, increasing in intensity. So the harbingers, and I put the second point in clear, but I, I want to change that word to comprehensive. Because the harbingers are comprehensive. They're affecting every area of our lives right now. That's what's so stunning. It's not just in one area, it's every area is being affected. So the first and the preps, the easiest one to see is the environmental harbinger's And in the Old Testament, when God wanted to get somebody's attention and they refused to listen to the prophets or they refused to listen to his word, he got their attention through environmental disasters or invading army or, you know, some national disaster. And so that's what's happening, I believe, to us now. But environmental disasters, it's the locust plague itself in verses 2 to 4, just describing the stages of the locusts. And they ate everything in sight until the land was laid waste. So... What environmental disasters are you aware of that are record breaking? So I know you couldn't take them off right now and I couldn't have, but I looked it up. So (laughs) I'll just go back 2014 was the hottest year on record. Until 2009, there were three earthquakes in Oklahoma, over 3.0 on the Richter scale. In 2014, there were 585. Now, you can say that's fracking or whatever you want to say, and we always find an excuse, don't we? It's global warming, it's fracking, it's a polar vortex, it's El Nino. But in back of that is God, trying to get our attention. So, 2014, the coldest winter in the United States ever in history. Earthquake in Napa Valley cost $2 billion and the snow in Buffalo, New York went to seven feet. 2015, the Denver snow in February broke the record that had been held for 103 years. Boston broke an all time record for snow flooding and tornadoes in Oklahoma and Texas, 70 wildfires at the same time from California to Montana. It was like the West was on fire flooding in South Carolina that governor Haley said was of biblical proportions in June the algae in Florida was so bad, there was flooding in Louisiana that the people there said was worse than Katrina. There was a record-breaking hailstorm in Colorado Springs that left two feet of ice in Colorado Springs. And then that melted and caused flash flooding. There were 35 tornadoes that touched down in Indiana and Ohio. And just watch. When you read your newspaper and you get it online, just watch for the record-breaking, the worst ever It's amazing The birth pains are ratcheting up, increasing in frequency and intensity, so don't miss them because they're coming through the environment and you listen to the secular world spin it and say, well, you know, it's this reason, it's that reason, it's... God is behind that and he's trying to get our attention. Environmental harbingers, social harbingers, disasters, in verse 5 he says, Wake up, you drunkards, and weep. So I'm going to apply that to substance abuse, drugs, alcoholism, and alcohol-related accidents. Did you know this? Are the leading cause of death in young people in the United States. We spend more money on alcohol than we spend on cancer. It's the number one drug problem in America, and it's associated with 73% of the felonies, 73% of child beatings, 41% of rapes, 81% of wife batterings, 72% of stabbings, 83% of homicides. That's a disaster. Drug abuse. Marijuana. Every day, more than 3,200 teens use marijuana for the first time. Never mind that it lowers grades, makes a child less likely to graduate, leads to depression, lower income, the person's more likely to be unemployed, regular use leads to a drop in IQ of eight points. And two thirds of high school seniors don't think marijuana is a serious problem. That's a disaster. Opiates, drug overdose is a leading cause of accidental deaths. There were 47,000 deaths From overdose in 2014, that's more than guns and car accidents combined. Four in five heroin users begin with prescription drugs. It's the soccer moms. It's the attorneys. It's the businessmen. Suicide is the third leading cause of death in 15 to 24-year-olds. Every 72 minutes, a veteran commits suicide. That's a disaster. Active shooters? I won't even go over the specifics, but I will tell you that from 2000 to 2006, there were six per year. 2007 to 2013, there were 16 per year. That's one every three weeks. 2014, 2015, there were 20 per year. That's almost every other week. This year has spiked up from 2015. That's a disaster. So... Environmentally, socially, financially. In verse 5, wine is snatched from their lips. In Joel's day, wine wasn't a luxury, it was a necessity, it was a dietary staple. So it's just like that they lost what they needed. And when Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac collapsed and Lehman Brothers and the rest of it, we saw how quickly you could lose your pensions, your 401ks, your retirements, things that you need to live on.
1: Now here's Anne with this final word. Joel chapter
0: 1 can't be emphasized enough. God is sending us the harbingers. Warnings is a sign that the day of the Lord is coming. It's time to return to the cross and repent of our sin. Listen to me. Get right with God while you keep watching the harbingers. Watch for the signs.
1: plan to join us every week on Living in the Light as Ann Graham Lotz brings her insights and teaching from God's Word. And don't forget to take advantage of the many free resources at annegrahamlotz.org, including Ann's daily blog that makes a perfect devotional reading. Thank you for being with us today.